Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Informed Catholic Podcast. This is going to be episode 65, so let's open up with a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and it's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, Mother of the Church, and Mother of all Christians, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Family, and Guardian of the Church, and terror of demons, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, protector, defend us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, I'm going to read to you uh, a passage from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And he, he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him surely die. But if you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry if I sound a little funny. I've been getting over a head cold. Um, I don't think being cooped up inside was very helpful. <laughs> Not every single day, unfortunately. I mean, go out only for uh, uh, groceries or taking care of other things if it's possible. Um, can't go do the laundry. Laundry mat is very small. They only, they only allow us a small amount of people at a time, obviously because of social distancing. Uh, but uh, we're still stuck in. Now we're going into the third week of Easter. Anyway, I have an article here that um, is very interesting. I came across it on Facebook. Uh, it's... Um, by Father Dwight Longnecker. Mm. Father Dwight Longnecker. He's a convert uh, from uh, Anglicanism and it's called uh, pathos.com. And um, he's very good. I like Father Longnecker. He appeared on Dr. Taylor Marshall a few times. And um, the article is called um, 10 Traits of Catholic Fundamentalism. Uh, it was printed March uh, 
this is this is quite old. This is not recent. Uh, March seventh, twenty sixteen. Wow, and it's by Father Dwight Longnecker. I heard him on um, Dr. Taylor Marshall, and he's he's very good. Um, he's he's a married Catholic priest. He came into Catholicism from the Anglican Church, just like Dr. Taylor Marshall, and um, I do agree with him um, that. You can, it's, there's a possibility, a way you can say um, the Novus Ordo more reverently in a traditional way. Um, I was watching this fellow on um, uh, YouTube. He has a, a channel and... Um, he lives, he's an Italian-American of uh, Sicilian descent, uh, and he's very good. He lives in Tennessee. I think originally he might have been from New Jersey or New York. And um, he lives in the, right in the heart of Bible Belt region. And he gets a lot of um, hostility from Protestants who still are very ignorant about Catholicism, you know, very hostile towards Catholicism. Um the um the thing is uh is that the the emerging uh traditionalists uh from the novus uh departing from the novus ordo because there's so much abuse going on in novus ordo masses this is the new mass of the post vatican II era and um there's, there was originally, um, Church Militant did a, a thing called about uh, Spotlight. Uh, they named a program after the Spotlight, like, you know, the movie that exposed the the abuses in Boston or uh, Chicago, I believe it was. But there was so much abuse by Catholic priests. And this is in the Novus Odo rite. This is in the Novus Odo rite. This is basically... Um, happening because there was so much um bad loose uh regulations rules screening in the in the novus Ordo right because of the fact that so many pedophiles so many immature men men who basically with a lot of bad a lot of skeletons in their closet, a lot of abuse, a lot of pain and suffering. Um, I'm, you know, I'm being, I know I'm being a little charitable, but let's face it, uh, someone who commits abuse with someone who has been abused, they tend, sometimes it can happen. Not necessarily all the time. I'm not saying all victims are going to become abusers, but it, it's obvious it has to start from somewhere, right? It has to start from somewhere. You know, a predator is not born, a predator is made. And I'm not saying that every victim becomes a predator. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. But obviously these men, something happened to them that caused this to happen. And they never got treated. All right, it can possibly happen because it's happened, you know, it's it's been talked about. Now, the other problem is is that there's a lot of 
you know, I mean, this is basically, it's not the same thing, but I'm just saying is that there is some problems with the Novus Odo. It also hurts people because when they see so many abuses, I myself have seen it. All right. I've seen priests trying to be a little bit too charismatic at mass with, uh, you know, with things. I've seen uh, a lot of uh, priests with, you know, I'm not a big fan of Jesuits, and I'm not saying all Jesuits are bad. There are good Jesuits, Father Mitch Pacwa, and there's others. There are good Jesuit priests, but the problem is, is that the majority of the Jesuit order has some serious problems. I don't know what is it, but they, obviously, there's a lot of abuse from bad philosophy or thinking of liberation theology, too much obsession with social justice. Um... You could see it with Pope Francis, and I'm not, I don't want to be disrespectful for him, but sometimes he frustrates me. God help me, but he does frustrate me in the way he thinks. But we have, we have to address the issue of, of this. Now, this can cause a problem within the church, a lot of divide. There's an old uh, parable. I think it comes from the East. It might be from India or but I've heard Buddhists use this. Um, if you play a string, you set up a string, an instrument, if it's too tight, it'll break. If it's too loose, it won't play. It's the same thing, I guess, with faith. You are you can be either too rigid, that you become extremely, um, you know, uncharitable, and at the same time, you, if you're too loose, you become too much of a heretic. So you have to find somehow in the middle. <laughs> it's, I guess, the same thing with politics. Well, 10 traits of, of Catholic fundamentalism. So let's begin. All right, folks. So let's begin. This is the article by Father Lonnecker. March 7th, 2016. Pathos, 10 Traits of Catholic Fundamentalism. Within the Catholic ultra-traditional circle, a new wave of ugliness has arisen. Numerous traditionalist blogs, websites, and publications spew disrespectful hatred towards the Catholic Church. They mock the Mass by despising the Novus Ordo. They degenerate the Holy Father, referring to him as Pope Frank or Bergoglio and refer to their mother, the Catholic Church, with adolescent disrespect as Francis Church. I, I avoid commenting uh, on the filth because why wallow in sewage? I'm not going to link the aggregators and websites in question because if you're interested, all you have to do is snoop around a little and follow a few links. You'll see how they lie, misrepresent, and tear down fellow Catholics, how these self-appointed prophets ridicule, gossip, and slander their fathers in God, and how these self-righteous, pretentious Pharisees vomit their bile on all they meet. It is pointless to ever argue with these people because they are always right. They have no true repentance in their hearts, but are driven by the worst kind of pride, spiritual pride. Instead of arguing, I would like to point out what is going on. 
First of all, I think it's unfair to use the term traditionalists for these people because it pulls down the many good, sensible and holy Catholics who are traditionalists by nature and by their devotion and worship. These people are my friends and family. I'm on their side. Most traditionalists work hard for the church. They live their faith. They build up their families and their parishes in the faith. These good folks deserve to keep the term traditionalist and to honor it with their good, strong, faithful, and humble Catholicism. We should separate the paranoid hate-mongers from the rest of the traditionalists. They are not traditionalists. They are Protestant fundamentalists wearing traditionalist Catholic clothes. I know about Protestant fundamentalism. I was raised and educated among the Protestant fundamentalists. Among them were many good, sincere Christian people, but also among them and driving their religion was a certain type of religious person whose attitudes mirror exactly the Catholic fundamentalists on their, uh, on their rise today. Here are ten principal things that connect them. One, it is private interpretation. Protestant fundamentalists rely on their own private selection and interpretation of the scriptures. Their interpretation is always the right one. Catholic fundamentalists rely on their own selection and interpretation of church documents. Like the Protestant fundamentalists, they know better than the Pope. Number two, cafeteria Christianity. The Protestant fundamentalist picks and chooses which parts of the Bible he wants to adhere to. Catholic fundamentalists do the same. They pick which parts of the Catholicism they consider authentic and ignore or degenerate degenerate the rest. Number three, private prophets. Protestant fundamentalists always raise up their own preachers and prophets, many demagogues. They cultivate a celebrity status and promote them as infallible mini popes. Catholic fundamentalists fall down before their own prophets and preachers, who they also raise to a status of authority. And, and that supersedes the bishops, even the Holy Father. Number four, fortress mentality. Protestant fundamentalists thrive on the fortress mentality. The little group gets together and builds walls and peers over them at all the sinners who are outside the, the enclave. Catholic fundamentalists practice the same ghetto mentality. We few, we faithful few. We are the small group of faithful ones who remain. Their response to this blog post, for instance, will be to retreat further into their self-made holy fortress and throw stones over the over the wall at me, not addressing my points, but re resorting to name-calling and personal smears. So, hold on here. Okay, uh, number... Five, the invis invincible self-righteousness. Protestant fundamentalists are totally convinced that they are right. There's no argument or discussion. Catholic fundamentalists are the same. They have their proof text. They have their watertight worldview. No discussion, no dialogue. It's their way or the highway. 
they respond to this blog post will prove my point. For the ones to whom I'm referring will not engage my points, but dismiss me and my message. Six, anger and violence. Fundamentalists, uh, fundamentalism is always tinged with anger. There's no sense of humor here. There's no joy. There's no laughter. Especially, there is no sense of humor about themselves. Fundamentalists are angry and aggressive, and given enough rope, they will move from verbal violence to other forms of aggression. The Catholic fundamentalists who bother to read this far and uh, uh, far and react in anger to this blog post by threatening to sue me, for example, will prove my point and they will not even be able to see themselves. Number seven, fear and loathing. Protestant fundamentalists are fueled by fear and loathing. Catholic fundamentalists are the same. There is a little light, joy, peace, and confidence in their lives. Instead of life, is a narrowed down by fear and loathing. Where there is fear, there is darkness. Number eight, suspicion and separation. Those who are outside the group are the sinners and suspect ones. But those who seem to be inside the group but do not share the group think are suspect even more. The only ones who are worse than the sinners outside are the sinners inside the fortress. Therefore, everyone inside must confirm constantly and uh, and anyone who steps outside the rules are, are or exhibit the wrong attitude will soon be shunned and excluded. Number nine, conspiracy theory. The atmosphere of suspicion and fear inevitably breeds conspiracy theories. The big, dark, nefarious, <coughs> excuse me, secret powers are always thought to be behind the scenes, planning some sort of hostile attack on the select few of the faithful. Number 10, persecution complex. Fundamentalists do just about everything possible to make themselves obnoxious and unlikable. Then, when people dislike them or get down on them, they, they love to play the persecuted victim. It's almost as if they're not only looking for persecution, but are anticipating it with a sick kind of thrill. Why take time to analyze these ten principles? Because what we see in, in the next extreme religious behavior of fundamentalists is not limited to Protestants or Catholics. It's, it's actually the sick form of any religion. There are fundamentalist Muslims, fundamentalist Hindus, fundamentalist Jews, fundamentalist Mormons. You name it, this is the form of religion that is a kind of anti-religion. Furthermore, we approach Holy Week, remember, well, this is past, I remember, this was written in 2016, so don't worry about it. Holy, we, we were approaching Holy Week, remember, and it was kind of religion which drove the scribes and Pharisees who eventually scapegoated Jesus and made sure he was killed. Finally, the analysis is not the critique of fundamentalists. It should be sober critique, excuse me, of all Christians, because all of us, at one point or another, if we are not careful and prayerful, we'll fall into these traps to a greater, lesser extent. I know what I'm talking about because 
on my worst days, I seek that kind of Catholic looking back at me from the mirror. All right, so as we've gone through this, I think he's being very fair. And uh, it's something that we got to be careful about, unfortunately. You know, um, I was watching uh, one an episode by Church Militant with Christine Niles, and she was talking about the SSPX. The SSPX uh, was set up by Archbishop Lefebvre. I know I'm pronouncing. He was French, and I think he was a missionary in um, Africa, uh, probably South Africa. And because he saw the abuse that happened, what he thought was wrong about the uh, Assisi prayer meeting, where Pope John Paul II had an Assisi prayer group uh, and a lot of different religions. And let's face it, nothing ever goes out perfectly, and sometimes something happens. Well, some Buddhists placed a statue of Buddha on top of a, a tabernacle. And that scandalized a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like that. They felt that was disrespectful. Later on, Assisi had an earthquake and people viewed that as a chastisement from God. Um, maybe it was, maybe it is. You could read it. I mean, I have my own views about things and you know, John Paul was a human being. All right. He's may he may be a canonized saint now, and a lot of, I know a lot of people have their opinions about it. I thought it was kind of too fast, a little too fast, but um then again, you know, God has his hand in it as well. Uh John Paul II was not perfect. Saint uh Pope Benedict, not Saint, but Pope Benedict is not perfect. And most indefinitely, uh, Francis, uh, Pope Francis is not perfect. Um, but we can't control that. I can't control it. All right, Francis isn't, Pope Francis is not going to listen to me. All right, I mean, there are several popes who gave him a dubia. He's not going to listen to them either. All right, he ignored them. He ignored uh, Vigano. Archbishop Vigano, he ignores uh, Archbishop uh, Bishop Schneider, Athanasius uh, 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 Athanasius Schneider. He ignored him. <clears throat> they all sent. He ignored Cardinal Burke. And you know, I mean, these guys have much more higher position. Even Cardinal Sarah is ignored. All right, from uh, by Pope Francis. So if they can't get him to listen. What's getting angry going to make him listen to to uh, to us? <clears throat> I can I view myself a conservative. All right, I can't say I'm traditionalist because I didn't grow up in the traditional Catholic uh, right. Uh, you know, there was a gentleman the other day uh, I watched a YouTube, and he wanted to go down to the to a, a Latin mass, and he took with him his missile and the missile he thought he didn't realize is for the Novus Ordo. In other words, the the formula there is not going to be the formula to the old mass. He started to have appreciation for the traditional Latin mass. And that's different, a tradition, an appreciation because he saw the words and it's true. 
Sometimes the song doesn't match the event that's happening. And it could still be done better. And I know Father Longnecker pointed out it in the, the Novus Ordo can be done better. It could, you know, it could conform to a traditional Latin mass. You could take some forms of it and 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 do that. And I think the problem is it's that we Catholics in the Catholic Church have tried to make ourselves accessible to the wider world um, by making by making the mass look less alien, and I think that's what happened. And yes, there's been a lot of abuses, but even when you become a traditionalist, you could still have abuse. In the SSPX that Father Lepre set up, a lot of abuse has happened. There's been sexual abuse in the Latin, uh, the traditional world. You can't turn your eye, but if it's as much as you could be spiritually lax in the Novus Ordo, and you could be spiritually overzealous and, and, and fanatical in the traditionalists because of pride. Pride can be in both. You can have spiritual spiritual pride in the in the traditionalists, and you can have spiritual pride in the new the new mass. Both it can happen. You could be lax, and there's pride, and you could be overly zealous, and there's pride. Sin creeps in. Archbishop Lavers set up and ordained four bishops without the permission of John Paul II. How do we know that wasn't spiritual pride? How do we know that wasn't spiritual pride at all? John Paul II did give permission for the Latin Mass with limits. Pope Benedict lifted up the uh, the restrictions. All right? And what happened, a lot of our bishops and cardinals didn't want the Latin Mass to be said. In their, in their diocese. Priests can say it without permission, but the bishops, the cardinals, won't allow it. There is pride of authority, pride of power. I can't do nothing about that. You can't do nothing about that. People can gather together and complain, but the only one who has the power is God and the, whole, uh, and, and the Trinity. The Holy Spirit can do it. There's still, you could still be a traditionalist or a conservative Catholic. I consider myself more conservative. I can't be traditionalist. All I can do is study the faith and do what I can do on my part the same way all of us can. We have to just do what we can. But screaming and shouting and becoming obnoxious, like he said in the article, is not going to be helpful.